0: We started
1: a long time ago with, with just an idea in Scott Brugman's mind. And then Scott Brugman and Todd Ballard sat in a living room praying one night, God, show us a place to start a church, and they ended up in the back corner of this creepy theme park. And then they let a few of us join forces with them, and then there was 12, 15 of us sitting in a circle in the back corner of this theme park praying, God, is it possible that we could be used to do great things? Is it possible that this church family could make a difference in this world and that people could go to heaven because we're here?
0: I remember walking through um, the theme park and uh, genuinely loving it. I know that we've always joked about it, like the staff has always joked about it, that it's weird and that it's, creepy and that it's awkward, but then I think it was probably really, uh, for me it was disarming and I think for other people it was too. Heritage Squared made no sense, I mean it was so far away from the metro area in my mind or from Denver, um, it didn't seem to make sense, but we had already named the church Red Rocks Church. We knew that God had called us to that, to that region for a variety of different reasons, other miracles that were taking place and And looking back, it was the it was the most perfect place for us to start. And God knew that. There were so many sacrifices that the leaders and their families made. And there's so much, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, prayer, stress, everything that went into it. And in the end, they just they stayed committed to the Lord's calling. But Heritage Square is what we were given by God in that process, we we learned and an, an appreciation for that scrappy environment, which led to, to other scrappy environments like the dinner theater at Littleton and you know, the Vietnamese supermarket you know, at Lakewood and the old medical building up in Arvada. You know, it, it doesn't matter the type of building as long as there's enough parking places for cars to bring people that will make up the church that Christ is building, that's, that's what matters. When you look at the people that were involved, the vision behind the church, and just the clear presence of God's hand in that church startup, it was pretty clear to me that this was going somewhere. You look back, and it's 10 years,
1: and it's like, well, of course, this is how God is. Of course, this is how he writes. This is the only way he's able to write is like glorious things and beautiful things. I almost feel like it's like a tidal wave that the Lord's created, and
0: like I get the privilege of being a part of it. I think we all get the privilege of of being a part of it. God's sovereignty connected with people's faith makes something great happen. Red Rocks Church, what God's been doing through us makes no sense.
1: And we've never been good enough and we've never earned it and we've never deserved it. But one thing I can say about this church family is we've been willing. What's up, Red Rocks Church? Yeah, I lost some weight the hard way. You guys doing good this weekend? I love it. Hey, I want to welcome everyone at all of our campuses. Of course, Littleton, Lakewood, uh, the Vatican up in our Vatican. We love you. Uh, Golden, of course, that's what this whole series is wrapped around. And can we do this? At all of our campuses, can we give the most gracious, gracious, Uh, Welcome to all of the men and women at God Behind Bars. We love you, ladies and gentlemen, so much. We say it every week, but we do not take it lightly that we get to do church with you guys and that we get to worship with you guys. And this week, yet again, I'm just praying and believing at both of your guys' respected campuses that God's going to do something powerful and that breathes life and that breathes hope into you guys. If you're, if you're visiting with us again at any campus, uh, we're in a series, week two, that we've titled Heritage. And just to give you a little backdrop so you can get caught up, 11 years ago, we started this church called Red Rocks with 18 of us people. It's grown a little bit since, um, but it started and it was fun, 18 people. And um, we uh, got last year, a little over a year ago, we got a phone call from the leasing company um, that works with Heritage Square, and they told us that they were not going to renew our lease. Uh, to which we said back to them, you need Jesus, okay? Because, uh, you know, no, 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 they're great people. They're great people. It's a big company that owns it. They don't even really know that they had a church on the premises, and they just cleared us out. And so it is what it is, but uh, leading up to Easter, and knowing that Heritage Square, this if you're visiting with us, this is what we lovingly call the creepy little theme park in Golden, Colorado. If you've been in Denver for a long time, you're familiar with Heritage Square. But this is the last run. And our last service at Heritage Square will be the three Easter services that we will hold there. So it's just a few weeks away. And we decided leading up to Easter that we wanted to honor our heritage. We wanted to honor the last 11 years and all that God's taught us. And so we decided for four weeks that we would extract some principles that we've learned that line up with God's character and God's word from the 11 years. And if you weren't here last week, Sean gave us this first principle and it's from Jesus himself and it's the principle of faithfulness, right? Jesus said, if you're faithful with the small things, the little things in life, then eventually in God's time, guess what he's going to do? He's going to give you more. He's going to promote you. He's going to trust you with increase, right? This is a kingdom principle. And I sat at the Lakewood campus at the 11 o'clock last week and I was just kind of, you know, I was watching the crowd through Sean's message and I could just feel as a, as a teaching pastor, I could just feel that it was resonating with the masses. And that didn't shock me. And for, for two reasons that didn't shock, shock me. Number one is when you start to preach kingdom principles, there's just something that erupts in the human heart that says, yes. Right. As believers, we we don't always understand the fullness of the principle, but there's just something where the Holy Spirit's saying, yes, this is right. And I could feel that. But then there's a second reason why last week was so powerful and I could sense it and I could feel it. And here's what you guys don't know about last week that I know is part of what made Sean's sermon last week so powerful was Sean. And that pains me to say, right? Because we're in this constant (laughs) microphone battle. But let me tell you why. For the 20 almost years that I have been friends and in relation, I call him my best friend now. I love Sean, I love it. We're we're basically like brothers at this point. But if there's one thing, when I first met him and we were new believers and we came to this weird city called Rockford, Illinois, and we were just kind of trying to get out of our old environments. And we went there and we both started interning in programs and learning what it looked like to know Jesus and what it looked like to do church ministry. And I started watching this guy and he had just come from Hollywood and he was just an actor. So he's so cool, you know, and I'm this good looking. Yeah, I called him that. It hurts, but I call him that this good looking young guy. And he's so gifted and he's articulate and he's sharp and everyone wants to be around him and he's got charisma. And I'm looking at him and then I'm looking at the, the things that they started asking him to do in his internship and it didn't match because what they were asking him to do in his internship were, were just petty things. They were small things. There were things that seemed like a waste based on his talents and his gifts. And, and I watched Sean do this. I watched Sean in everything that he was given, literally be faithful with him. And so you fast forward almost 20 years and here we are 11 years into this church plant that we've, we've got to do together with a bunch of other friends and family members and you guys may be shocked because you see us up here every week and you're like, how does this work, right? But I'm not shocked because my friend and my boss, Sean, has been faithful with the little stuff and so when he was preaching last week and it was resonating with the masses, what was happening was he was speaking with authority that doesn't come from information, it comes from a life lived. And I just wanted to honor Sean this weekend for a couple different reasons. One, he turned 44 this weekend. All right, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. And basically, here's how I look at it: When you're 44, you might as well be 50. He's 50. All right. He's he's in the last phase of life. It's over for him. He's in that he's in that last lap of his race, and we need to pray that he finishes that race strong. Right that he gets that baton and he passes it off to the next generation and that he just gets on out of here, right? He's 50, basically. We need to pray for him. I'm early 40, so I don't even understand what he goes through. But I will brag on him because I respect my elder, Sean. I deeply respect you and how old you are, bud. I, I respect you. I, I honestly I honestly believe for, for week two, th- this whole weekend at all of our campuses, I believe that what I'm about to talk about is also going to universally resonate deeply with people. And here's why. The same two reasons. Number one is we're going to talk about a timeless truth that is a kingdom principle all throughout scripture. We'll look at that today. But then secondly is this, I am speaking to you, not just out of information, I am speaking to you out of a life lived. I'm not very authoritative about anything. The subject we're going to look at this weekend, I would say boldly, I have authority in. I'm authoritative when it comes to bacon. I'm authoritative when it comes to Dairy Queen. I have some authority when it comes to fantasy football, current reigning champ, trophies in my office. And for 2016, I'm going to be authority when it comes to cats because this is the year of the cat. I declared it a while back, right? Because for, for 10 straight, 11 straight years at this church, I have convinced you theologically that cats won't be in heaven. And I had a sweet lady in our church rebuke me. She's also my elder, and so I took it. And I said, you know what, This is you're the cat. But I digress, I move on. If there's one thing that I can talk to you about in God's word and a kingdom principle, and I can speak with some authority because of the life I've lived, it's the subject we're about to look at in week two. And it is this, it's the subject of weakness. I know what it's like to be weak. I know what it's like to live in a season Of weakness. I know what it's like to have a propensity or propensities towards particular sin patterns that just make me feel utterly weak. I know what it's like to be in a career and in a job situation where you just feel absolutely weak. I know what it feels like to be desperate and to wonder what's gonna happen next and to yet again wake up another day and put all your faith and put all your hope in God. I want to talk about weakness. One of my favorite pastors in America, his name's Andy. And he says this, he was talking to a bunch of pastors once at a conference, and he looked at all the pastors, and he says, he says, if you guys will preach from a place of weakness, you'll never run out of material. And so I happily, in week two of this series, I want to talk about what I've learned about the power of weakness in the first 11 years of Red Rocks ch- uh, Church, because it is a part of our heritage. See, weakness in the eyes of the world is seen as an indictment on your life, Right? That's how the world teaches weakness. It's nothing more than an indictment. It's nothing more than a barrier that every January you got to come up with some new rules about your life to try and to get rid of the weaknesses in your life. And we try real hard and we put a lot of energy and sweat equity into trying to get these weaknesses out of our life. Right. So that we can live something better and more full. But see weakness in the kingdom of God is not only inevitable. Can I say this? It's necessary. Consider it pure joy, James says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that those trials are producing in you perseverance. And perseverance, James says, must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's something about being in seasons and in places of weakness that God absolutely ordains. Weakness in the kingdom of God, unlike what the world teaches us, it's not a barrier most of the time. It's a catalyst for your future. Weakness in the world sense, in the American cultural context that we were just born into, we were born and raised that you got to deal with weakness quickly so that you can live the American dream, right? So that you can live and have everything that you think you're entitled to have. But in the kingdom of God, weakness has all kinds of upside. And some of you, you're new to this kind of language. You might be new to the scriptures and you say, why is that? That makes no sense. Can I tell you something? The kingdom of God initially makes no sense. It is a backward kingdom that is in complete warfare and contradiction to the kingdom of this world. You say, why would God use weakness as one of the main forms of currency in his kingdom to move forward? And I would simply start with this because he sovereignly chose to use weakness to show us the futility in thinking you can do this life on your own apart from God. Listen to what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says this to the church, and he says it to us. He says, brothers and sisters, he says, Red Rocks Church, listen to me. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But listen to this. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose, and here's the word, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, Jesus is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. And Paul sums up his thoughts with this. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boasts in the Lord. That's why I say all the time, cockiness in the kingdom of God is ludicrous. There is no merit in our own natural strength that we can bring to the table of our salvation, right? It is solely a gift of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I have been accused over and over of being what we call an overshare. In other words, ask my wife. She's the chief accuser. I'm guilty of this, sharing too much too fast with people that don't know me. All right, I just do, I've been this way my whole life. I'm this guy, hey, hey, my name's Chad and I'm, I'm in counseling right now, how are, you, how are you doing? Like We're in marriage counseling, struggling right now, but every marriage has struggles, you should go. You'll be in counseling too eventually, just. And, and my wife's just like, stop talking, stop. And the, the guy I'm talking to is like, okay. <laughs> and you said you didn't want pickles on that Whopper, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, my bad, Teddy, my bad. Yeah, just, yeah, sorry, I talk a lot. I'm an overshare, Teddy. Right. That, I'm, that's just me. And, and, and I want to do something for a minute for the sake of talking about weakness. I want to overshare. If you guys don't mind, I want to talk about the last 11 years of my experience up here. I do a lot more than just come up here on the weekends and talk. In fact, one of the worst things you can ever ask me, just heads up in case you want to ask me is like, well, when you're not preaching, what else do you do? OK, just just please don't ask me that for a lot of reasons. OK, there's a few things going on around here. But when I come up here for the last 11 years, I wanna let you in on something. I have next to never came up here and felt secure trying to come up here. Now, when I get up here, something switches and I get bold and I get this, I hope it's holy confidence, I believe it is. But before the message, There is a fight all week that I have. You can ask my wife. She has been my partner. We fight together. She fights for me. She texts me before this weekend's message and said, I love you and I'm praying for you. We're in this together, right? But she could tell you that all week I stress and sometimes I lose sleep. And I am burdened in the fact that God calls broken, flawed human beings to be his middlemen speaking his word where he already says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher. And I'm supposed to come up and mitigate and referee and and kind of speak in between us and God. You want to talk about a crazy thing. And the first few years of Red Rocks, I was under this assumption that about two or three or four years in that I would graduate from this insecurity definitely 11 years in that I wouldn't have any, I I would have done enough sermons that I would have a template now where I just knew from a communication point of view how to move a crowd. I, we're going to laugh a little bit. We're going to cry a little bit. Uh, you know, the, there's, a, there's a, a voice inflection here and then bring it back here. You know, you just learned the art of communication. And I thought if I paid enough dues that there would be this kind of swagger and there would be this kind of smoothness that I bring to the pulpit now 11 years in. And can I tell you, it not one bit has gotten better. And for so long, I used to think that was just an indictment on me. I'm like, you're just a super insecure person. You need to grow up in Christ. And I remember one point when Christ spoke to me and said, Chad, I'm never gonna take away that from you. Pray all you want, scream all you want, do all these rituals all you want. It's never gonna leave you because that is precisely, that tension that you sit in is precisely what brings you to your knees to pray for these messages and allows the power of God to come on you and for there to be fruit. It has nothing to do with your skill, your talent, your ability. It has to do with the power of God resting on you in the midst of your weakness. Do you know almost every sermon I do, I I did it again this weekend, almost every message I do, the first five or ten minutes, right when I walk off stage, I go back in an office, whatever campus I'm speaking at, and I shut the door, and I just start preaching the gospel to myself because I feel like such a failure. And I just start going, Chad, it doesn't matter. You're not here to perform. You're a child of God. God loves you on your best day of preaching. He loves you on your worst day of preaching. And your preaching is, is secondary. There's the, there's the work of the Holy Spirit that's really doing the important stuff anyway. So, so you're going to be all right. Just get out there and shake some hands and love some people and get over it. In your weakness, my power is going to be made perfect. And I go back and I have to do that. And I wish that wasn't the case. And, and I'm going to, can I overshare it a little bit more before we move on? Honey, you're here today, can I overshare? Cool, okay. One more thing is this, I barely graduated high school. I, I, I did the whole walk through the, the graduation line and they gave you the diploma and sh- shook your hand and I opened the diploma and there's nothing in there. Because I hadn't, yeah, I, hadn't, I literally technically hadn't graduated yet, I had to go to summer school after my senior year to make up some courses so I could actually pass with an extremely low GPA. Then I went to college, and it was just because I wanted to play baseball, and I quickly ended that career, and I dropped out of college. And when we started this church 11 years ago, one of, the, one of the biggest points of contention and shame and insecurity for, for me was that I, I don't qualify to do what I'm doing right now. I don't have any plaques on the wall. I don't have a PhD in anything. I don't have a, an MDiv in theology from a seminary. And I would get asked all the time, I still do, hey, what's your background? What's your qualifications? Where did you go to school? And every time I got to kind of do the walk of shame, just like I barely graduated high school. And I'm always thinking, man, no one's going to come back and listen to someone like that. I don't qualify to be doing something as weighty as this, right? Why do people keep coming back? over these last 11 years? Why do people keep filling these seats over the last 11 years? And I'm sitting there, and I'm having this struggle with God because I'm like, I don't qualify. And here's the principle that I want to bring to us this weekend in the midst of talking about weakness that I have learned from my 11 years here, and I'm grateful. And this is a proverbial coffee mug statement that you've all heard before, but I stand behind it, and it is this. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He qualifies the called. I'm going to say it again because it's so important because so many of you in here, you look at your pedigree and you look at your background and you look at your circumstance and you look at your season of weakness and you have already allowed the enemy to convince you that you are disqualified from something great in the kingdom of God. And can I tell you, it's exactly and precisely in your seasons of weakness that God is ready to show his glory through you like nothing else. Do you know weakness is just setting you up for a testimony? You know, your your seasons of weakness is just giving you a message, not about you, but about God shining through you in the midst of some really dark seasons. That's what it's all about. There was this verse I came across years ago in, 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 in this church, and it just it's become my theme verse based on the fact that I don't feel like I qualify, but then I read this, and it, it gave me a whole new life. This is Acts chapter 4, and Peter and John are the, the architects of the early church, and they're the pillars of the early church, and they're trying to stop and thwart the early church, and so there were some people that got them in trouble, and now they're sitting in court when we're re- reading what we're about to read in front of some really powerful men that have their destiny in their hands. Men with big robes and plaques on the wall. Wise, strong men in the the, the eyes of the world. And and Peter and John are standing before them. And here's what it says. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and had perceived that they were, here it is, unlearned, that's me, and ignorant men, that's Sean. (laughs) 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 unlearned and ignorant men what did they do they marveled like these guys don't qualify these guys were fishermen and they're literally the architects of the single greatest movement currently when they were in court movement happening in all of Rome in all of the ancient middle east There was nothing like this new phenomenon in Acts chapter 4 called Christianity. And and, and you can imagine these judge and magistrates expecting these guys to walk in so lofty and so schooled and so eloquent and so learned, so well-dressed. And they're fishermen. No pedigree, no plaques on the wall. Ordinary, a lot of your Bibles will say ordinary, unschooled men. And they marveled. See, it was in their earthly weakness that God was actually choosing them and qualifying them and using them for other people to marvel at the, the, what I call divine irony of how God equips people. And here's the, the most beautiful thing. It says this. They recognized that they had what? Who gets all the glory here? They recognized, it says, that they had been with Jesus When you, here's here's an equation that I believe in wholeheartedly, when you take your weakness and you continually bring it to the foot of the cross, your weakness plus Jesus' grace equals an awesome future, if you will see it that way. The seasons of weakness and frailty and difficulty that you walk through, you can either see as a problem, a setback, or you can see it as an opportunity to go, all right, God, what's the testimony going to look like? What's your grace going to do again? And, and God, every time, he never wastes weakness. Do you see how Peter and John's weakness in the front of the court, it wasn't a liability. It was a strength. Why? Because they could tell the only answer for this is Jesus. These guys have no business running a movement like this. They're street people. They're fishermen. They're average. They're ordinary. No pedigree. And look at, what, look at what's happening through them. It must be Jesus, Right? And I want, you to, I want you to hear my heart, Red Rock Church. Please, at all of our campuses, listen to me. In the last 11 years of Red Rock Church's heritage, God has done unbelievable things. It's that Ephesians chapter 3 verse, to him who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine according to the power that's in us, right? That, 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 that God's, God's done that at Red Rocks Church, but, but may we never forget this moving forward. Because we will lose our heritage and we will lose what's special here. God has done all of these amazing things way more in spite of us than because of us. You understand that, right? And the same will hold true for every one of our individual lives. You can really know Jesus is behind your success and Jesus is behind where you've gotten in life if you can just look back and go, how did I get here? Like, unbelievable. I should not. I have so many minutes, times where I'm standing on a stage, whether it's here or speaking somewhere else, and while I'm preaching passionately in my head, I'm going, how am I here? How am I here? How did this happen? And the only thing, if I'm being totally honest, that I can really, if I'm I'm processing with integrity, bring it back to you, is Jesus brought me here. In my weakness, in my unqualifications, because he called me, not because I've earned it or deserved it, simply because he called me, He's now equipped me and given me what I need. All glory to Jesus. That's why Paul says, if we may boast, what do we do? We boast in the Lord. God has done awesome things at Red Rocks Church in the last 11 years, but it has been more in spite of us than because of that us. And if you don't believe that, let's do a quick review. Watch this.
0: You men have nipples. Those are bricks.
1: Now I realize I'm 27% body fat and not nearly as fast as I was back in my jazzercise days, but you come at this and what you're going to get is a grizzly bear. Okay? I grew this out. This is bear hair. This isn't man hair. This isn't a normal man. This is hair from a bear. Hates the Seahawks and so they're all right we're gonna buy Richard Seaman uh Seaman I don't know.
0: <laughs> Sherman <laughs> This is this is not gonna-
1: You're doing it again. Don't egg us on. So that leads me to my second point. That video is this, is how do I still have a job? <laughs> I mean, look at us. No business. Like, like, literally, like, this is way more in spite of us <laughs> than it is because uh, Again, I'm supposed to, I'm not qualified, but I'm called. You're stuck with me. Paul says this, this is a serious principle of weakness, and I just got to give you a little backdrop, otherwise you won't fully appreciate what's being said here, but the apostle Paul wrote about half of the New Testament, right? And so he had an experience that was unique to him and about one other guy in the New Testament, John. He went to what was called, and we're not going to read this part, but earlier he talks about this, what's called the third heaven. He goes, I don't know if it was a dream and a vision or if I really went there, but here's what I know. I was in the third heaven. Now, the third heaven is just Greek terminology for this. It's the physical, tangible presence of God. It's where his most tangible presence is right now. It's what we would call right now the holy of holies, right? That's where he went. And, and you don't have to feel bad that you've never gone there. And if you ever tell us you went there, I'm just going to look at you and say, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Two guys ever, right? And it was so they could write. You want the guys writing the New Testament to go to the third heaven. That's not a bad thing. It's not an indictment that you don't go. It's a good thing, We want to give the authoritative word. So he goes to the third heaven and he sees the fullness of God so that he can come down and with complete authority write what we get in the New Testament to the churches so that we can live on it, we can bank on it, we can believe it with all of our heart and with all of our faith. So he goes to the third heaven and he starts to talk about, hey, listen, like all of you would, you could, you could have a temptation to, to arrogance after you've experienced that, and now you got to come live with the normal folk again. So listen to what he says. He says, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, listen to this, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being what? Conceited. Three times I pleaded with God. Now, in the Greek, he's not saying he he, three different times in a quick moment, ask God. Three different seasons of his ministry, okay? That's, That's really what he's saying when you look into it. Three different times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Have you ever been there? Season after season of weak and vulnerable and fragile moments where you just feel like life's beating you down. You ever just been there and you just keep pleading with God? God, surely you don't want this in my life right now. I didn't ask for this. Paul didn't ask for that. Paul was being a faithful servant of God. He went to the third heaven. God chose that. Paul didn't. And now he comes down, and now he has to have a messenger of Satan, whatever that looks like. We won't know till heaven. But something was making him weak and tormenting him to the point where he called it a thorn in his flesh. And as a good, if anyone qualified to look at God and say, You've got to take this from me, this is so distracting, and this is making my work so difficult. And if you read Paul's bio, he's so incredibly sold out to God that you would think if anyone qualifies for God to go, yeah, I'm going to take that thorn away because we just got to stay busy and, and you're doing such good work. And I know this feels like it's setting you back, but, but, but what's God say? No, no, no. He says this. Listen to this. My grace, Paul, is sufficient for you. Sometimes God just says no. Sometimes you're in a season of weakness and you think it's an indictment on you. And sometimes God's just saying it's not an indictment on you. It's accountability for you. And he says, no, and I don't understand the sovereignty behind all that. And I don't understand all the time why God does and allows what he allows. But I know oftentimes he allows some things in our life to stay because he says, in my, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect. Where in weakness, weakness is a kingdom currency, Red Rocks. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my, what my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, he says, then I am strong. This last Tuesday, I I, uh, had the privilege of speaking at one of our life groups. And it's a really special life. They're they're all special. um, But this one was really special. Because it's a a unique life group. There was about 30 or so people, and we all met at a house and had dinner first, and and there's a common thread within the story of everyone in this particular life group, because it's a life group for widows and widowers. And and I showed up, and I was a little distracted because I was still uncertain on Tuesday what I was going to talk about this week. I'd been overthinking it, because I'm like, 11 years I'm supposed to process into a message? And I was overthinking it, so I was a little distracted, and I walked in there, and I started for about the first 30 minutes just listening to story after story after story. And I thought it was going to be a bunch of some of the more elderly people in our church that just lost maybe spouses to old, older age and stuff, you know, and, and, and they were people my age. The majority of the people were in their 30s and 40s and 50s, and I heard story after story, hey, three years ago, I lost my husband to cancer, and I have two boys, and I'm a, I'm a single mom. Heard multiple of those stories. I saw grown men, strong, successful men starting to introduce themselves as we went around the circle and they couldn't even get out their names and where they're from and how they found Red Rocks, which was the thing we were doing because they were so broken by the loss of their wife. Unexpectedly, grown men. In a room where they didn't even know everyone and their lips quit, you know, that whole deal. Men just broken and in pain and in a, in a place in life that is as fragile as fragile gets, right? Nothing affects the heart more profoundly than the loss of someone that you love most, right? And this is a room full of those people. I, I sat there and listened to, to one girl, Nicole. She's 41. She's a, she's a peer. So I could, I could put myself a little bit in her spot. And, and she lost her husband to cancer uh, three or four years ago. And then four months after he died, in the midst of her trying to grieve, she got breast cancer. She had a double mastectomy. And she was sharing with us, it recently came back. And it's starting to grow again. And I don't know what to do because all my two boys, Tyler and Jack, all they know is this death now. And now they know that mommy's got cancer. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm listening to this and at one point I just broke and I said, I know exactly what I'm talking about to represent the heritage of Red Rocks Church. Because at one point she said this and, and that's when my heart just started to break. She said, I, I just, and she, she wasn't even complaining. She goes, do you have anything in your church like Big Brother's program or anything? Because I, I just want like, could someone like throw a football with my boys? And I just was like, oh my God, I have three boys. And I'm picturing being gone from them and how how vital those moments are. The front backyard football, and I'm sitting there listening to this, and God says, you know what to talk about. And I'm like, our church is a rich heritage of people who come broken and hurt and weak and need the saving grace of Jesus Christ, right? That's what we are. Man, you guys at all campuses, you can go ahead and come on up. We are a community of people. Sean says it all the time. He says we're, we're a bunch of imperfect people who come to, to celebrate and to honor a perfect God who has saved us, right? And we can never forget that. We can never forget that at all of our campuses every week that this place is way more of a hospital than it is a country club, right? The minute we start acting like some kind of country club for a bunch of strong and wealthy people who have it all put together is the minute that the blessing of God goes off this church. We say it all the time we are a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Now, when you come here in your sin, we are sin, we're a hospital. We're not going to just sit there and wallow in your sin and go, well, you're just a sinner. No, we got the word of God. It's medicine, right? It's medicine. We're going to preach the word of God. And the minute we stop preaching the word of God, this church will die. Because the word of God is like medicine. When it initially gets heard, sometimes it stings and it hurts and it cuts. It's like surgery. But the ultimate goal of the word of God is to heal, right? So, we want to be the most welcoming church to everybody caught in weakness and caught in sin and caught in some of the most difficult seasons of life. And this has to be a house and this has to be a place of hope and help and life, not condemnation and beating each other down. Listen, the Word of God, we have to trust to do what the Word of God can do. It's the medicine. Do you know what we are as the body of Christ? We're the caretakers. Our job's not to, to hurt the body, to heal the body. That's the Word of God's job. Our job is to love people radically in the way we come here. Not to get high and mighty when we happen to be walking through a good season of life. Our job is to come and say, Jesus, if not for you, every week in some form or fashion of worship. Jesus, if not for you, Right? I sat there and I was in that small group and I just sat in the weight of so much weakness and I just wanted to scream to them and and they're in the midst of pain right now and this is a group of people that are hurting deeply and they've got anger as as we all would and they've got the great sovereign questions about God and why God and 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 I encouraged them and I said guess what God can handle that bring them all that stuff and there's a bunch of people there that are just really sad and grieving. And I sat there and what God was saying to me is, is if they keep showing up to this group, do you know what they're saying? I may be hurting. I may be angry. I may be frustrated. I may be doing the why God thing right now, but I showed up. I'm here to say, Jesus, help me. And it's in that weakness that they are creating for themselves a testimony that people over time are going to marvel at. Because their weakness, put at the feet of Christ, is everything. It is God's way of winning this world to him. Some of you at all of our campuses, you walk in and you think that your lack of pedigree or your lack of, like me, plaques on the wall. Or because you don't have the best job or make the most money or you don't dress a certain way or have this or this or you're not in their circle or their circle. You can buy into this life from the enemy that you're just not usable. And I hope I read enough scripture and I could have kept going but for time's sake you can't. I hope I read enough scripture tonight for you to hear the heart of God which is, listen, it's in your frail, weak moments that I'm actually qualifying you to do your best work before you breathe your last. Just keep bringing your weakness to the feet of the cross and let Jesus do the work that only he can do. It's not going to be easy. I promise you that. But it's going to be right. And in your weakness, people are going to see Jesus all over you and they're going to marvel. And God's going to get a whole bunch of glory because I sat in that room And I marveled at these widows and widowers. And I said exactly what those magistrates in that court said about Peter and John. I said, they've been with Jesus. Because they're walking through this deeply painful season with a poise about them that is divine, nothing short. And it's beautiful. And I walked out of that house full. Everyone's like, thank you for coming, thank you for coming. I'm no, like, no, thank you that I got to come to this place. I'm leaving strong, I'm leaving full because I've marveled at the strength and the courage that you guys keep coming to Jesus with. Thank you, and I kept saying thank you to them. If we're gonna have a better second 11 years than we had first, and I'm believing that we haven't even seen close to what God's gonna do at Red Rocks Church in the Denver metro area. We can never forget on our best day where everything seems like it's going so great and we've got things to celebrate, we can never forget that this is an absolute sovereign product of God's goodness and grace because a bunch of weak people keep showing up. We don't put on airs. We don't act like something we're not. And every weekend, we just keep laying stuff at the feet of the cross and letting Jesus do the work that only he can do and change the world that way. And I believe that we're going to At all campuses, we're about to take communion. Before we do that, the ultimate weakness is an outsourced weakness, like Paul's. In other words, stuff that, Paul didn't go looking for that, it came looking for him. All those widows and widowers in that group, that was outsourced. That's the weakness Paul's been talking about. That's the weakness we've been talking about. But the weakness I haven't mentioned yet is what I call in-house weakness. You're not the victim in this weakness. We're actually the culprit. It's called sin. And when I'm talking about weakness and when I'm talking about sin, that's not the weakness I've been talking about this whole message. God doesn't keep sin around in your life to bring glory to him. Please don't misunderstand me. But we do come here to equally draw into the grace for the sins that we've all committed. We're all products of being saved by grace, right? But some of you at all of our campuses, you've never received the saving work of Jesus Christ. And I wanna tell you real quick what that means. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's awful news, but there's a comma. It says, but you can be justified freely by the grace and the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. It's a gift, you can't work for it, can't earn it, can't deserve it. Talked about it a few weeks ago, we are justified by grace through faith alone. It is not by works so that none of us can brag or boast. It is in our weakness, Jesus's grace is sufficient. If you've never received the sufficient grace of Jesus Christ as a sinner, which all of us were at one point, before Jesus changed our hearts, and you want to receive that with every head bowed at every campus and every eye closed out of respect, would you just real quick say, Chad, I don't even fully understand the implications, but I know what you're talking about is real. And if you want to save, if you want to receive, excuse me, the saving work of Jesus, would you just by faith raise your hand? Raising your hand doesn't save you. It's just an expression of faith saying, yeah, Chad, I heard you, and I want to receive the saving work of Jesus. At all campuses, leave them up. We want to see and we want to celebrate with you. Thank you, thank you. You guys can look up at me. We're about to take communion. We're about to stand and we're about to sing some songs and the ushers are going to bring the plates down and they're going to pass them out at any of your campuses. If you've got a gluten issue, we have tables throughout your campuses that have some gluten-free bread so that doesn't have to be a problem or a distraction for you guys. But the ultimate purpose of communion, just to remember why we do this, is to sit here as we start to sing songs, and when you grab that little piece of bread, it is a reminder, it is an accountability partner to the fact that Jesus' body was literally destroyed to the point where the Bible says his friends couldn't see him, and the Bible tells us he was punished in that way, and his punishment brought us peace. He took the punishment, so you don't have to punish yourself anymore. And we eat to that. That's the good. We, we take time to say, thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. And then secondly, you're going to get the little juice part. And, and, and when you hold that before you drink that, at whenever time you feel ready, you look at that juice and it is a representation of the blood of Jesus, which is the new covenant that we now get. This means you are a child of God, didn't work for it, didn't deserve it, didn't earn it. You are a child of God, which also the Bible says because of his blood shed for you, you are a co-heir with Christ. You're a son of the king. You're a daughter of the king. What's his, the Bible says now, is yours. It's the greatest news on planet earth. That's what we eat to. That's what we drink to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in these next few minutes, God, I pray that you would be so honored in our worship as we commune with you. God, as we sit with you in our weakness, I pray that there would be a sweet divine transaction that takes place between us and you, Jesus where you bear our burdens, where you bear our weakness, where you bring us rest in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our frailties, in the midst of our shortcomings, that we, we have rest for our souls before we walk out of our campuses. Jesus, I pray this in your awesome name, amen. At all campuses, let's stand and let's worship.